right, well, good morning, everybody. And uh, if you are ever wondering what the staff here does during the week, that's what we do. We jump around in slow motion. That is a very normal occurrence for us. But uh, now, seriously, I just want to say thanks so much for being here. Welcome to Grace at the Medina East Campus. Uh, and I want to really extend a very special welcome to you if you are a guest with us here today, if it's your first time at the Medina East Campus. We just want to say thanks for being here. My name is Tony, one of the pastors here at Grace. And uh, before we uh, jump into the message for today, I wanted to just quickly reiterate something that Steve mentioned a moment ago, and that is our Easter services that are coming up here in a few weeks. And so I just wanted to let you know about that. Uh, Easter, we're very, 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 very excited here about uh, our Easter weekend that's just coming up in a few weeks. And the reason for that is because on Easter, uh, th- this weekend, the Easter weekend, we're actually going to be beginning a brand new series we're really pumped about. It's called If Jesus Rose from the Dead. And of course, that series is going to be about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the reason I'm really excited about this series, we're really excited about this series, is because it is a series that is kind of geared and designed for everybody. And so whether you are a person who follows Jesus and is committed to following Christ, or whether you're a person that's investigating Jesus, this series is really for everybody. And so I'm really pumped about that because, as many of you know, Easter is oftentimes a time when people who don't typically get connected to a church are willing to get connected to a church. And so if you happen to have friends or coworkers or neighbors or, uh, or family members or whatever, uh, people in your life who maybe are not connected to a church or maybe who are investigating the whole God conversation, we would love to partner with you in that. And, uh, and this is an awesome opportunity to invite them. And so Steve mentioned there's these cards that are out in the cafe. You can grab a handful of those if you want. They just have our Easter service times on them. This is a way of kind of doing that, but we'd love to partner with you to create a great experience uh, for anyone who might be seeking after God so they could know him and kind of understand him some more. So we're excited about that. just want to let you know about that. Today, what we're doing is we're actually continuing uh, together in a series that we started out a couple weeks ago uh, that we've been calling More and More, uh, More and More. And if you are just kind of jumping in here, what what we've been doing in this series is we've actually been investigating uh, three very clarifying questions. And we said these questions that we're looking at, we call them the More and More questions. These questions that we're investigating together, we said they're so important because they help us uh, kind of align the vision for our lives with the vision that God has for our lives. And so if you missed the the past couple of weeks, let me just recap those three questions. Here's the questions that we're investigating in this series, the more and more questions. The first one is this, am I loving Jesus more and more? Am I loving Jesus more and more? The second question is, am I loving who Jesus loves more and more? And the third question we're investigating is, am I living for the things that Jesus lives for, lived for more and more? Am I living for the things that Jesus lived for more and more? So these are the three questions that we're kind of processing through, we're asking ourselves, we're kind of considering together through this series. And again, here's why we think these these questions are so important and they're so worth your consideration. Because we believe that these questions really get to the heart of what God's vision for all of our life is, right? And and here's why I think that that you and I, that we should take some time to actually consider these questions, whether you're a person that follows Jesus here this morning or whether you're a person that's investigating Jesus here this morning. Here's why I think this is worth your consideration. Because here is one thing that I know about every person in this room. It's true of every single one of us. Whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you follow Jesus or not, here's what's true about you and here's what's true about me. Your life and my life is becoming more and more of something. All of us are becoming more and more of something. In other words, I'll put it this way. Our lives are accumulating into something. 
And, and as time goes by, with every day that passes, with every decision that we make, with every habit that we enact, with every attitude and behavior that we include in our lives every day, we are adding up into, we are accumulating into more and more of something. And so the question that I think is worth asking is, what are you becoming more and more of? Because all of us are becoming more and more of something. So for example, are you becoming a more and more joyful person over time? Or do you find that you're becoming a more and more cynical person, critical person? Right. Do you find that you're becoming a more and more generous person as you get older? Or are you finding that you're actually becoming a more and more stingy person as you continue to develop? And you, yeah. Are you finding that you're becoming more and more selfless as you get older or as you grow and as you develop? Or do you find that you actually are on a trajectory of becoming more selfish? Do you find that you're becoming uh, more and more forgiving and loving towards other people and gracious, or are you becoming more bitter and more resentful as a person? And I think it's an important question. I think whether you follow Jesus or not, you owe it to yourself to ask the question, what is the trajectory of my life leading to? What am I becoming more and more of? And the reason that these questions, I believe, are really worth your consideration is because, like I said, I think it paints for us a picture of what God desires for our lives to become more and more of. God has a desire for our more and more, that we become more and more so that our lives accumulate into something. And these questions kind of help us get to the heart of what that's all about. So what we've been doing then is each week, we've actually been picking one of these questions and we've been kind of considering it, thinking about it, asking ourselves that question and kind of investigating it. And so last week, if you were here, I spent the whole time looking at the first question. The first question was, am I loving Jesus more and more? And if you missed that last week, Pastor Seth did an awesome job of kind of leading us in that conversation. I'd actually encourage you, if you missed last week, you can go back, you can listen to that, you can watch that uh, if you would like to on our podcast, on our app. All that stuff is available and is for free. But today what we're going to do is we're going to spend our entire time kind of thinking through and asking ourselves and considering the second question. And that's this, am I loving who Jesus loves more and more, right? Am I loving who Jesus loves more and more? I think we could actually probably rephrase this question. Uh, we could probably say it this way because I think all of us know Jesus loves everybody, right? So we could maybe phrase it this way. Am I growing in love for other people? Right? Am I growing in my love? And see, I think this is such an important question, especially for those of us in this room who follow Jesus. This is such an important question. In fact, it's so important that I actually think it's worth your consideration even right now. I want you just to take a moment and I want you to ask yourself this question. In your own mind, in your own heart, just think about this. Are you loving people more today than you have previously? Are you growing in your love for others? Not perfectly, not perfectly, but increasingly, right? Do you find that you're becoming a more loving person, that you're loving the people that Jesus loves, that you're loving the people that are in your life? When you think about your, your coworkers, when you think about your family, right? When you think about your spouse or your kids or your in-laws, right? Or when you think about, um, you know, your coworkers and your neighbors, are you loving these people more? Are you growing in your love for other people? And I think it's a really important question to ask, a very important question for us to ask. Now, here's the thing. Regardless of how you might answer that question, I think it begs a very important follow-up question, and that's this. How do we become people? who grow in our love for others. How do we do that? How do we become more loving people? How do we grow in our love for others more and more? How do we grow to love the people 
who Jesus loves more and more. That's actually what I want to sort of talk about today. And I actually want to take you to a passage of the Bible. It's in 1 John chapter 4. And in 1 John chapter 4, what we're going to find today is we're going to find how we can grow in our love for other people, how we can grow to love who Jesus loves more and more. So I want to invite you, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Why don't you get them out? Let's go to 1 John chapter 4 together. And so if you want to grab a Bible, go ahead and get there. And then also, let me just say that if you did not bring a Bible with you here today, that's not a problem. You can actually grab one of our Bibles, uh, those black hardback Bibles that are in the chairs underneath you or in front of you. Page 856 is where you're going to find 1 John chapter 4 and, and those Bibles that we have for you so you can get there. And then, of course, let me also just say that if you do not own a physical copy of the Bible, we actually would love for you to take one of ours, make that a, a gift from us to you. We think it's really important that you have a copy of God's Word that you can call your own. So 1 John 4. Now, as you're finding 1 John 4, let me just tell you what we're going to find. What we're going to find is that John is going to tell us how we can become people who grow in our love for others. Okay, how do we become more loving people? And what he's going to tell us is that there are two things, that if we pursue these two things, it will guarantee, guarantee that you will become a more loving person, that you will grow in your love for the people who Jesus loves more and more. So we're going to see that in John. Two things that John says, if you pursue these two things, you're guaranteed to grow in your love for others and for the people that are around you, that you'll grow to love people more and more. And I think, I think some of the things that John is about to say might actually kind of surprise you. So let me show you what he says. We'll start off in verse seven. Here's what John says. He says this. He says, dear friends, let us love one another. Right? So he says, we should, we should love other people. We should love each other. He says, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And let's just pause there for a minute, and I want to just think about these two verses. I really love these two verses, and one of the reasons I love them so much is because I love how straightforward John speaks here. You see how straightforward he is? Do you see what he just said? This is a powerful thing, a bold thing that he just said. Here's what John says. He says, we should love other people. And then he says this, if you know God you will love other people. And he says, and if you don't love other people, you don't know God. That's a bold statement. Basically, what John is saying is this. He's saying, listen, if you know God, a sure evidence that you know him and you have a relationship with him is that you're gonna grow to love people more and more. You're gonna love other people more and more. And he says, and if you're not loving people, if that's not growing in your life, he says, something's not right. You don't know God. That's a bold statement. Now, what makes him say that? Well, look what he says. Here's his reasoning. He says, because love comes from God. In other words, he says, God is the source of love. Love flows from God. In fact, he even goes so far to say this incredible statement right here. He says, God is love. One of the most profound statements in the entire Bible. God is love. You know, it's fascinating. There are some characteristics of God that are so tightly interwoven, interwoven into his nature that they're, they're merely inseparable. And one of those characteristics, the Bible says, is God's love. God is love. Now, there's other characteristics. The Bible says God enacts, right? So God, God gets angry. Uh, God exercises discipline. But God is not anger, and God is not discipline. But God is love. 
He doesn't just act lovingly. God is love. It's so, it's so core and essential to his essence. It's such a part, it's so tightly interwoven to his nature that it is inseparable. And what that means is, is it means that everything that God does is motivated by his love. And so when God gets angry, it's not in spite of his love. It's actually because of his love. And when God enacts discipline, when he exercises discipline, it's not in spite of his love. It's actually because of his love. Why? Because God is love. God is love, and love comes from God. And so here's what John says. John says, if you say that you know Jesus, if you say that you know God, but you're not growing in your love for other people, John would say there's actually a big problem with that. There's actually a big problem. If you are growing... um, in your knowledge of the Bible more and more, if you are growing in your theological aptitude, right, more and more, if you are growing in your attendance to church and church functions more and more, which all those things are great things, of course, but if all of that is happening but you're not growing in your love for other people more and more, John would say something is terribly amiss. Something is wrong. Why? Because God is love. God is love. Love comes from God. And if you know God, you know love and you will show love in return. Now watch what he says next. Watch what he says next. He goes on, verse nine. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now let's just pause there. Let me explain what's going on here. So here's what, here's what, Paul, or what, what John just said. John just said this. He said, God is love. Love comes from God. And now he goes on in verse 9 and 10 to define what the love of God is like. He says, you want to know what God's love is like? Let me tell you. He says, God showed his love to us. Now, I'm not going to get into too much detail here on defining what God's love is like. And the only reason for that is because if you were here last week, you might remember that Pastor Seth took the entire time to help us understand and to define what is God's love like. And so I don't want to be redundant. I want you, in fact, I would encourage you, you need to go back and listen to that because it was a very, very helpful conversation. But what Pastor Seth said in a nutshell, just to kind of summarize, Pastor Seth said, God's love is not just some set of emotions or some set of feelings. God's love is not just some vague notion of sentimentality. That's how we tend to define love, right? We, it's, we think it's a feeling-based thing or we think that it's just some kind of notion of sentimentality or whatever it might be. But the Bible tells us that, no, God's love is so much more substantial than that. It's so much deeper than that. It goes so much further than that. In fact, what I find so fascinating, and Seth alluded to this last week, is, I don't know if you knew this, every time the New Testament authors try to define God's love, do you know what they do? They do this every single time, every single time. They never give you some like vague abstract definition. They're never like, God's love is like doves flying out of a, you know, whatever, unicorn with a rainbow on it or something like that. That's never, they never do that. Why? Because what they do is they always point to, whenever they're talking about God's love, they always point to an event. They point to something that happened in time, in space, in history. And you see what it is? Here he says, he says, this is how God showed his love. In other words, do you want to know if God loves you? He proved it. He showed it. How? In an event. Something happened. Time, and space, and history. What was it? He sent his one and only son that we might live through him he sacrificed his son for our sins. So, so the New Testament authors say, you want to know if God loves you? You can actually point to a verifi- verifiable event that will prove to you that God loves you. And it is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that God sent his son and sacrificed his son for the sake of our sins. 
and that he rose from the dead and he invited us into his family. And the Bible says, if you wanna know that God loves you, you can know for sure. Not because it's some vague abstract feeling or some kind of vague sentimentality. God is love, God, no, no, he loved you and it was expressed fully in the death of his son, the sacrifice of Christ. But now, I want you to notice what he says next and I don't want you to miss this because this is really important. Look at verse 11. John says this, he says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, I want you to catch this because this is huge. Here's what I want you to notice what John just said. John just said this. He said, listen, if you really wanna love other people, if you really wanna love other people, the way to do that is paradoxically not by trying to love other people more. The answer is not just try harder to love other people. What he says is this. He says, if you really wanna love other people, he says, what you must do is you have to understand the love that God has for you. When you begin to understand his great love for you, since God so loved us, he says, what's gonna happen is that's gonna overflow. And, that, and in that, you're gonna find yourself, find yourself able to love other people. Here, here's another way to say it. I told you just a minute ago, I said that I believe that, that John shows us two things, that if we pursue these two things, it will guarantee that we will become more loving people right? And what are they? Well, here's the first thing. I put it this way in my notes. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down if you want to. I think the first thing John would say is, he says, you want to become a more loving person? You want to love people more and more? He says, here's how you do it. Guaranteed. If you do this more and more, you will love other people. And that's this. You need to bask in the love that God has for you. You need to bask in the love that God has for you. You need to bask in his love. And the more and more you do that, the more and more you deeply understand the love that God has for you and you allow that to fill you and to transform you, he says, you're gonna in turn go and love other people. That's how you love people more and more. It's kind of interesting. I was thinking about this idea of basking in the love of God and I couldn't help but think of uh, this time. My son, I uh, I have three kids. We have one on the way. My oldest son right now is eight. And so when he was four, so this was a little while ago, I remember he had this little, he, he had this little action figure guy. It was like a little glow-in-the-dark action figure guy. And I remember he ran up to me one day, and he's like, Dad, check it out. I, he must have just got it or something. And he's like, Dad, check it out. I got this little action figure guy. I was like, oh, that's cool. And I, I, I looked at him for a second. I, I said, oh, man. I said, he glows in the dark. And my son was like, what? And I was like, yeah, he glows in the dark. And so my son immediately grabbed the action figure back and he ran into the bathroom and he shut the door because it was, it was dark in there. And after being in the bathroom for just a few moments, I heard him go, oh man. And I was like, that's not good. And then he comes out of the bathroom. He's like, man. And I was like, what? Did you, you know, drop in the toilet or something? Like what happened? And he said this, he goes, he goes, no, he goes, I think it's broken. I said, what do you mean it's broken? He said, yeah, it doesn't, he said, it doesn't light up. He said, I think in this, I, I never forget. He said this, he goes, I think he needs batteries, new batteries. And I was like, oh, no, buddy. No, 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 no. I said, that's not how a glow-in-the-dark toy works. He's like, well, what do you mean? And so I tried to explain to my four-year-old how a glow-in-the-dark toy works, which is really difficult for a couple reasons. First off, because he's four, and secondly, because I don't really know how it works either. But I tried, right? I just tried my best. So I said, I said, well, buddy, I said, that's not how it works. He said, well, how does it work? I said, well, he doesn't need batteries because he, he actually is not a generator of light. He doesn't generate light, 
right? I said, so what he, the way he's designed, kind of the way that he's made, is it's like he has some kind of chemical something or another in him that he actually is designed to absorb light. So he absorbs light, and then he retains light, and then when you bring him into the darkness, he will radiate that light. That's how he works. And I looked at my forearm, does this make sense to you? And he's like, no. And I was like, it doesn't make sense to me either. So I said, let me, I said, let me show you. Let me just show you. So apparently, he had never, we'd never done this before. I don't know how we missed this. So I, I went over to the lamp, took my son, you guys know how this works, right? I took the little glow-in-the-dark guy, and I put him next to the light bulb, and I started to rotate him, like a rotisserie chicken, right? Just kind of put him in that light. My son's like, what are you doing? I was like, just trust me, just you wait, watch, I'll show you, I'm showing you how this works. And so I do this for a little while, and after a minute of rotating this little guy in, in the light, after letting him bask in the light for a long time, I gave him back to my son. I said, now you go back in the bathroom with him now. So my son went into the bathroom, and I actually went with him because I happen to like glow-in-the-dark stuff too. And so we went in there, we shut the door, and wouldn't you know it, this little guy lit up the whole place. And not in the way that you might think a person lights up the bathroom. He lit up the bathroom, he illuminated the bathroom. And my son was like, wow! And I was like, I told you, that's how he works. And, and, and I'm telling you, for the next probably half an hour, my son would take that little guy into the bathroom until he dimmed down. He'd go back out and he'd take him back to the light and then he'd go back in again and he would do the same thing, take him back out and do the same thing. He did this for a long time. Now, why do I tell you that? Well, that might sound really silly to you and it is kind of silly. But you know, I couldn't help it when I was reading through this passage in 1 John, I could not help but think of little glow-in-the-dark guy. And the reason is because I think what John is saying is that you and I, as it relates to love, we're actually a lot like that little glow-in-the-dark guy. And here's what I mean by that. Did you see what John just said? John said this. He said, God is love. Love comes from God. That's what he said. This is love. Not that we loved, but that he loved us first. See, here's what we need to understand. You and I, by design, are not love generators. We're actually not love generators. The Bible says God is love. He is the source of love. Love flows from God. This is love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. That's what love is. And so what the Bible says is that you and I are actually not love generators. We are actually created to be love absorbers. That's the way that we work. We're actually, by nature, believe it or not, love takers. And some of you might disagree with me on that, but if you disagree with me, just ask any psychologist who has studied early childhood development, and they will tell you that that is true that one of the most basic foundational needs that we have as humans is the need to feel loved. It is something inside of all of us. And if you deprive a child of affection and, and, and of acceptance and of love, it leads to all type of psychological problems, all type of social problems, all type of health problems. Why? Because it is a fundamental need that we are created inside of us. We are made to absorb love. We are naturally love takers. And when that need is not being satisfied within us, we will take that need with us into every relationship we go into. And so we will enter into relationships not as a fountain of love to other people, but as a love drain. And we will drain love from others because we're desperately trying to fill that need within us. See, when that need is not met, we'll start to assess the, the value of a relationship, not based on how much we love and serve and sacrifice another person, but how much they love and serve and sacrifice us. We'll assess whether a marriage is healthy or a friendship is good or, or bad or whatever, not based on how much I love you, but how much you make me feel loved. Why is that? Well, it's because there's a need inside of us. There's a need to be loved. And if that, if that need is not met, we'll take that and we'll place expectations on other people to meet that. 
We'll crush other people with those. We'll crush our friends. We'll crush our spouse. We'll crush our children with expectations that they will fill that need within us, but it'll always fall short because they are not the source of love, and they can never fully satisfy in you that which God was intended to satisfy, right? And so here he says, John says this. He says, listen, if you really, really, really want to, if you really want to love other people, he says the way that you do that is actually not by just trying to love people more. But if I just looked at you and I said, you want to love other people? Here's what you need to do. You need to muster up your inner humanitarian and you just need to love more. Just generate that. And that's not only difficult, that's actually impossible. It's impossible. Why? Because you're not a love generator. That's not what you're created to do. And just like that little guy, little glow-in-the-dark guy, if I just grabbed him and I looked at him and I said, hey, little glow-in-the-dark guy, I want you just to glow more. Just do it. Just muster up your inner light and make yourself glow. He can't do it. Why? Because that's not how he's created to do. But if I take that little glow-in-the-dark guy and I make him bask in the light, it will fill him up and eventually it will overflow out of him and he will become a light. He will become a light. And you see, this is exactly what John is saying. Here's what he says. He says, dear friends, since God so loved us, because God is love, And because of his love, we then in turn can be filled with his love and we can go and we can generate that love to other people. That's why he says this, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And so when we bask in his love, continually come to his love and bask in his love, the Bible says that that will fill us up and it won't just fill us up, but it'll overflow out of us and we will become a light of his love into dark places. That's interesting, this idea of basking in God's love. I was... uh, Actually reminded of some of you know a couple weeks ago Billy Graham, uh, Dr. Billy Graham passed away, and uh, it's actually really interesting. When I found out he passed away, I was sort of surprised at how much it, it actually affected me. I was uh, I was both kind of sad and excited for him because he, he's such a man of God and um, left such an impact uh, in this world. But I remember when I, when I when I heard that Dr. Billy Graham had passed away, I actually remembered an interview that he uh, that he someone had uh, given him about five years ago. It's towards the end of his life. And the interviewer asked him a fascinating question, and I'll never forget Dr. Graham's response because I was not a, it was so surprising to me. Uh, but this is what the interviewer said. He said, uh, Dr. Graham, you know, your life is, you know, you love such a legacy. You've preached to over 100 million people, have heard the gospel because of you. This is incredible. And so he said to Dr. Graham, he said, looking back on your life, is there anything that you would do differently? Is there anything you regret? And this is how Dr. Graham answered that question. Without hesitation, he said, yes. He said, if I could go back and do anything differently, here's what I would do. He said, I would preach less. He said, I would actually take less speaking engagements. And he says, and I'd spend more time studying the Bible and meditating on the love that God has for me. And he said, and I would spend more time thanking God for his love, and I would spend more time telling God how much I love him, and I can't wait to spend time with him in eternity. And I remember I was, I was kind of shocked by that answer because I wasn't expecting it. And I, and I just kept thinking about it. And I still think about it. I'm like, what did he mean by that? But here's what I believe Billy Graham found out. Here's what I think Dr. Graham discovered. I think what he found out was this, that the more that you bask in the light of God's love, that the more you become a light of his love to other people. And so John says this, you want to become a more loving person? You want to love people more and more? He says, it's actually found in this. You need to bask in the love that God has for you. But that's not the only thing that John says, because John says there's a second thing too. And I put it this way, we have to bask in the light of God, but we also have to bank on the love that God has for us. We have to bank 
on the love that God has for us. Now, some of you are like, now what in the world do you mean by that? What does it mean to bank on the love that God has for us? Well, let me explain what I mean. In fact, John says something really fascinating in this passage that I think is really insightful. And here's what he says. If you actually jump down to verse 16, I want you to notice what, what John says. He says this. He says, and, we, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. And he says, God is love. So there, he says it again. In case we're not clear on this, he says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Now, here's what I think is so powerful and so, and so incredibly insightful is this little phrase right here. John says, we have come to know and to rely on the love that God has for us. This word right here, rely, is a very powerful word. Uh, some of you might have a different translation in front of you. It might say, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. And what the word rely literally means is it means to put your trust in something. Okay, it means to put your full weight onto something. In other words, it means to bank on it. It's not, it's not enough just to know something. You have to live in light of the reality of that thing, right? To put my weight on it, to, put, to bank on it as if it was true, as if it was real. I was thinking about this idea of relying on something, and I was reminded of um, when I was in college, uh, the, the whole time I was in college for all four years, I had this really cool privilege of working with student ministries. And so I worked with one youth group for four years in Chicago uh, while, I was, while I was attending school there. And uh, if you've ever done youth ministry before or student ministries, it's a blast because the energy level is super high and the maturity level is super low. And that is just a combination for a good time every time, right? So it was always fun and just had a blast doing it. But uh, when I was serving with this, this youth group, we actually had this annual trip that we would take and we would take a group of students rock climbing. So this was just kind of something that we did. We would take these students rock climbing. And so after doing this for four years, I had done this trip four years in a row. By the fourth year, I realized that this trip was so predictable, it was almost comical. It always went down the same way, always. It was so predictable. Here's, here's how it would go. We'd get a bunch of, bunch of students together, like 40, 40 students or something. We'd get in these 15 passenger vans. We'd drive an hour away to this place in central Illinois. It was a rock climbing place. And when we would get there, there was this giant rock wall, like a 30, 40 foot rock wall and a cliff. And I've never been to a place like this, but the way it worked is you actually started on top of the cliff and then you would rappel down and then you would climb back up sort of how it worked, right? And so we did this trip, again, four years. The way it, the way it worked every time was we would get to the top of the cliff and, and there would be an instructor. And that instructor would kind of get all the students together. We'd all kind of kind of uh, gather together and he would go through his spiel. And it was the same instructor all four years and it was the same spiel all four years. And so he would kind of go through it and he'd be like, you know, here's how you're gonna stay safe. Here's how you're not gonna die. And he would go through all that. And then he would start going through the gear. He would explain the gear so he'd get the rope, and he'd be like, this is the rope that we're going to be using today. It's made of such and such material. It's virtually unbreakable. And I remember he said this every time, all four years. He said, this rope, this singular rope, could hold up a pickup truck. And then he would move on, and he'd talk about the harness. This is the harness that you're going to be wearing, that you're going to be using. It is certified by blah, 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 organization. Uh, these, these are tested and approved. No one has ever been injured using one of our harnesses before. Then he'd move on to the carabiner. He'd be like, this is a carabiner. It'd never buckle or break or whatever, even under two tons of pressure or whatever it was. Then he'd talk about the guide. There was always a guide that was with us, you know, the guy that would do the belay rope. If you've ever been rock climbing, you know what I'm talking about. And so he'd always be like, you know, then you got this guy over here, you know, Cletus or whatever his name is. And they'd be like, and he 
He's been doing this for 25 years. He's an ex-Navy SEAL. He's, no one's ever been hurt on his watch before. And basically, he would just tell you about all the reasons why you're going to be completely safe doing this. But what was interesting is I would actually look at the students when, when this spiel was happening, and they would be kind of half paying attention, kind of half not, sort of half goofing around, kind of like you'd expect, right? And, and it was just interesting. And, and some of the students, especially the ones who had been there in the past, they would actually roll their eyes. And so he'd be like, this is the rope. And they'd be like, we know... We know, we know it holds a pickup truck. We've heard that before, right? And he'd be like, this is your harness. We know it's been certified by blah, blah. That's Cletus. We know, we've heard of him. He's an ex-Navy SEAL, 25 years, blah, blah, blah. We get it. But what was so funny was inevitably, whenever it came time to actually repel, there was a whole different atmosphere among those students. Totally different. It was so predictable. And I don't know why this is the case, but it seemed more often with the guys than with the girls, this is what would happen. So we get... The guys tied up on the ropes, we get the harness on them, get them all set up, and they'd be standing on the edge of the cliff, they'd be ready to go, right, ready to drop down, and Cletus would be like, okay, go ahead, and without fail, so predictable, happened so many times, these guys would freeze. They would freeze, and you know why, and I know why they would do that. It's because they were terrified, right? Have you ever done this before? It is terrifying. It is terrible. I mean, you're, you're at the top of a cliff about to go down backwards. Everything about it is unnatural, right? And so these guys would freeze. But of course, they would never tell you they were terrified because there was girls around. So, so you'd be like, go ahead. And they'd be like, ah. And you'd be like, any time now. And they'd be like, uh, give me a second. And you'd be like, what are you waiting for? Ah, uh, I was waiting for my moment, man. I was waiting for my moment, you know? And you're like, so what I, I would do, like I said, it's so predict- it happens so many times. What I would do is I would go up, to, I would go up next to the, the, the it was usually the guy, and I would go up to him, and I would say, I try to make it a private conversation. I'd get him to him, like, hey, man. Like, hey, that rope, I can hold a pickup truck. <laughs> and he'd be like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, and that, that harness you're wearing, it's been certified by every company that matters. It is completely reliable. I, I know. Cletus is down there, <laughs> you know. He's an ex-Navy SEAL man. I know, I know, he's got your back. I know. And I'd be like, okay, then why aren't you going? And he'd be like, I can't move. And I used to say to these guys, I would say, listen, man, I know you're scared. I know you're scared. Everyone's scared. You're, you're at the top of a cliff. This is very unnatural. I said, but at this point in time, you actually need to trust the facts, more than you trust your feelings. You're not in danger. You might feel that way, but you're not. And so listen, I need you to not just know it. I need you to rely on it. Go ahead. You can go ahead. You know what's interesting is some of the guys would do it. They would actually do it. They would betray their feelings, and they would rely on what they knew was true. But some of them didn't. And some of them rode home, and they missed out on an absolute blast, an experience, and an adventure. Now, why do I tell you that story? Well, here's why I tell you that. For some of you here today, when I tell you, you need to bask in the love that God has for you. Do you know that God loves you? God loves you. Some of you are like, I know. Mm-hmm. Yep. I know that. Know that. I've heard that before. I grew up hearing that. Some of you grew up in church, and you're like, yeah, we used to talk about the I remember we used to sing about it when I was a kid. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. If you didn't grow up in the church, you're like, I don't know what that just was, man. That's weird, man. 
But some of you, I'm like, do you know that God loves you? You're like, I know. But listen, if I asked you, if I asked you, do you rely on that? Do you, have you built your life? Have you put your full weight and your trust in the truth that God loves you? Have you, have you allowed that reality to change the way you define yourself and the way you define others and that you look at the world and you perceive your surroundings? Have you allowed that? Have you put your weight and built your life on that truth? God loves you. He loves you. And some of you would be like, well, that is an entirely different question. That's what John is saying. It's not enough that you just know the love of God. It's not enough that you just bask in it. You have to rely on it. You have to choose to live a life in faith to say that even when it doesn't feel like it, I need to trust my God more than I trust my feelings. For some of you, if I say, do you know that God loves you? I know, but if I said, do you rely on it? You would say, quite honestly, it doesn't always feel like he loves me. Some of you would say, quite honestly, if you know what I've done, if you know where I've been, if you know the decisions I've made, if you knew what I was doing last night, you would know there's no way God actually loves me. Maybe he's disappointed in me. Maybe, he's, maybe he, if he does love me, maybe it's out of obligation. But, but I don't know. Listen, I think John would look at you and he would say, no, 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 no. You need to believe your God more than you believe the way you feel. You are loved. And if you don't, if you don't believe it, he says it's evidence. You can look at an event. God sent his son. Something happened in time and space and history that you can bank on that validates the love that he has for you. So for some of you, if I say, did you know that God loves you? You're like, yeah, I know. I know that. The same way that I know trivia, it's a stale piece of information that sits in your mind. But if I asked you, do you believe it? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God loves you? Some of you would say, quite honestly, I don't know if I do. Because when I look at the circumstances of my life, the the trial that I'm going through, the health situation that we're facing, whatever, it's hard for me to add up that circumstance and it equal God's love. Here's what John would say. He'd say, listen, I know that everything inside of you might, might look different. It might seem different. He's like, but listen, you can trust this fact that God loves you. He's proven it. He has showed it. He has validated it. And so what John says is this. He says, if you want to be a person who grows in your love for other people, who loves more and more, he says, you have to bask in God's love increasingly, continually, and you need to bank on it. You need to trust your God more than you trust your feelings. You need to build your life on that reality, your perception of yourself, your perception of others, and your perception of the world. And what, what John says is this. He says that when you do that, when you do that, that'll free you. It'll free you, and it will fill you with the love that God has, and it will overflow, and it will allow you to become a source of love to other people. So I'm going to ask the band to come up, and as the band settles in, I, uh, I actually just want to close with a couple, a couple kind of practical thoughts, and, and then we'll pray. But here, here's the first thing. Okay, for those of us who follow Jesus in this room, and again, I know not everyone today follows Christ, but for those of us who do follow Jesus, I want you to just for a minute, I want you to imagine with me, just imagine the difference it could make if just for a couple of minutes, just say even five minutes, um, if before you walked into that board meeting tomorrow, or if before you walked onto the job site tomorrow, or before you walked into that social gathering, or into your high school, or into your classroom, or whatever, imagine if just for five minutes, for five minutes, if you said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bask in, and I'm going to bank on the love that God has for me. So I want you to imagine the difference that would make. You're sitting in your car, or whatever. You just open up your Bible, 
You take a minute, maybe you read 1 John 4. Maybe you read through the more and more challenge that, that we've kind of given out. Maybe you just take a couple minutes and you read that and you just bask in it. Man, God, you love me. This is what you said about me. This is what you said is true of me. I'm accepted. I don't need to work for your approval. I already have your approval. I just take a, a minute to bask in it and then bank on it. Say, say, okay, God, so I'm gonna bank on this. I'm gonna live as if this is real. And so when I go into this meeting or when I go into this social gathering, when I go into this classroom, when I go into my high school, when I go into whatever it is, I know that it doesn't matter if these people accept me or not, I'm already accepted by you. I'm already loved. I'm deeply loved and nothing that's gonna happen here is gonna affect that or change that. And so I can walk into this meeting, I can walk into this group of people, into this classroom, and I can choose to be a fountain of love because you so loved me. And because you sacrificed for me, I can sacrifice for the people who are here. And because, God, you sent your son, I can initiate to love these other people. I'm free to love them. And I want you to imagine, if you were just to do that, the difference that that would make and the interaction that you would have. And listen, I think if you can envision that, I think that's what John is saying. I think that's what he's saying. I say, you want to become a more loving person, this is how you do it. You continually bask and you bank on the love that God has for you. And if you find that your love for other people is fading, I think it's an indicator that you need to get back in the light of God's love. Bask in it, fill up on it, let it transform you. And for those of you who are investigating Jesus, if you're a person that's not a Christ follower today, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you this, that that's, this love that we're talking about is available to you. And God loves you and he's extending an invitation to you to be his child and to enter into his family. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ before, if you've never surrendered to him, I'd actually encourage you, you can do that right here, right now, today. Your heart to God's heart, you can just tell him, God, I want to give my life to you. I want you to define and direct me. I wanna be a person who loves you more and more and who lives to love others more and more. And you can talk to him right now, even in these next moments. Just talk to him, just between you and him. You can do that. Let's pray together. Well, God, I just want to say thank you that you loved us. Thank you for your love. It's, um, it's immeasurable. It's, uh, it's unfathomable. I think, we'll, I think we'll be spending eternity trying to understand your love, and I don't think eternity is long enough because your love is so great. And um, Lord, I pray that you would help us today in this room to be people who bask in the love that you have for us, but God, help us to bank on it. Help us to rely on that reality that you do care for us. You do love us. Pray that you'd help us to trust what you said over even the way we feel. Because our feelings are fickle, they ebb and they flow and they come and they, they leave, but, um, but your love stays the same, it's always consistent. So help us to build on that foundation, the foundation of your love for us. Allow your love to work itself so deeply into our hearts and to our minds that it absolutely transforms the way that we view ourselves and others the world. And I pray that as a result of that, that it would overflow in us, that we would become a source of love to the communities and to the people that are around us. And so Father, we know that, that this is love, not that we love, but that you loved us. We know that you are love, that you are the source of love, and that apart from you, it's impossible for us to generate love in and of ourselves. So God, help us to walk in the light of your love, that we might be able to give that love to others. So I pray we'd be blessed for having heard what we heard today and that we would live differently as a result of it. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.